0: Welcome to Hope Community Podcast. It's great to have you join us today listening online. We pray you'll be impacted by our message this week. Enjoy. Um, It's a a momentous occasion today. It's the first day I am preaching with glasses. Yeah. Hey, there you go. Um, I was singing on my way out here. This is, I can't see you. I can see this. This Um, But I thought it does increase my range of um, expressions. (laughs) Look at that. Or in a pertinent moment. (laughs) Be on the lookout for those ones, okay? Be on the lookout for those today. (laughs) Today uh, today I want to speak about power but a slightly different slant that you might be used to when we talk about power, because usually what we mean when we talk about power is God's power. But today I'm talking about your power and my power. And you might kind of think, well, hang on a little bit. My power doesn't really matter in light of God's power. It's all about His power. Or you might think, compared to God's power... I. Well, I don't have much, do I? I don't have much power. Or the the notion of your power might be something that you haven't spent much time actually reflecting on too much. But I want to show you what I mean this morning from a story in the Bible where people's power is actually very obvious and present. It's John 8, verse 2 to 11. You'll know this story, most of you will when I start reading. It says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. That's Jesus teaching the people. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and they had set her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Slightly awkward moment. (laughs) Now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. What do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. And wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. Hmm. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And then again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. This is all happening in the courts of the temple. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the oldest and even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers? Of you, has no one condemned you? She said, "No one, Lord. No, no one." Jesus said to her, "Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more." That is a beautiful story, isn't it? And I'm not sure what it's called in your Bible. In mine, it's called a woman caught in adultery. Which is, I mean, accurate for obvious reasons. You know it is, but it could just as accurately, be called people's power and how they choose to wield it. Because there's a lot going on in here in terms of power dynamics between people. I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees, that they're, they're wielding power. They have power in their positions, don't they? Scribes and Pharisees, of the religious order. And they have power in their expert knowledge of the law which they've worked on for years, and they're wielding their power in the collusion with each other. See that? They band together, they pool their power, and they conspire against Jesus in the temple in front of everyone. That actually shows they had an incredibly good awareness of the power they had, and they were incredibly intentional in how they chose to wield it. Then there's Jesus. Jesus. You can almost feel the tension in his silence, can't you? The Pharisees bring their charge. He doesn't even speak back. He crouches down. And, he he, man, he's using the power of stillness and space. And it was palpable. And then there's his carefully chosen words. And the message in his words, which we'll get to in a moment, his words both to the religious leaders and, and to the woman, incredible power. In those words, And then there's the woman, and you might think, well, hold up a bit. Like if there's anyone in this story who doesn't have any power, it's the woman, right? Isn't that what it looks like? But you know this woman has been just so overwhelmingly powered over. It's not that she doesn't have any power. It's that she can't see any positive productivity for her in wielding it, so she chooses to withdraw it. She is is silent right up until the end of this story. It's not she doesn't have power, it's just a different use of her power. It's withdrawn by her choosing. So many different types of power in the characters of this story. So many different ways those characters are choosing to wield their power. You see why I say this story could be called people's power and how it's wielded? Do you know what, like the characters in this story... So do we each have power. It's how we're made. Aside from God's power that he bestows on us and and through us, he's created us powerful beings. And every one of us, whether we know it or not, is at the moment making a choice about how you will wield your power. Huh. Most of you at the moment are empowering my power by listening. There's one or two asleep. But anyway... (laughs) We have verbal power, that's clear. We have emotional power. And in relationships with each other, we make decisions about how to wield both, don't we? We do. We have physical power. We have size differences. We have personality power. And we learn over time what that is and we wield it. There is positional power, there's specialized knowledge power. There's the power of our choice and decisions and how we make our decisions and why and who they affect and who they don't. We have the power of association, who we're friends with, who we're not. Hmm. We have the power of possessions, how much we have, how we invest, the status we wield, where we don't invest. When you start listing off all the different types of power that are ours in our own right as we're created by God – well, surprising, isn't it? We're actually immensely powerful. And in different situations, whether we know it or not, we're making choices how we wield that power. Is this making sense? Yeah. Hmm. Here's the thing, though, when it comes to power. Have you seen these signs around? Where do you, where do you see those? Yell them out. Where have you seen one of those? Power lines, train station, that's it. Do you know why? Because power seen, power identified and power engaged with according to the purpose which it was made for, it's immensely useful, really helpful. But power not seen and power engaged with outside of how it was designed it's deadly absolutely deadly what about a what about a fire look like I got to, look at this this look at that doesn't that say warm night in with roasted marshmallows yeah a fire in a fire pit contained in a container with rocks on the ground and enjoyed at safe distance is fire within safe boundaries and in that context, beautiful, beautiful. A fire without any of that in the middle of a bush near someone's house? Disaster. Disaster. This is the thing we've got to know about power. Power seen, power identified, power boundaried well, so positive and helpful. Power not seen, power not thought about, power not boundaried, power not engaged with properly it's dynamite. It's absolute dynamite. We don't like to think of ourselves as powerful beings, but I want to tell you it's more dangerous not to see our own power than grapple with it. Hmm. That's it. So here's the, here's the question of the moment. How do we make decisions about the wielding of our power so that as God intended, it's a, it's a blessing and a help for people, us and people around us, as opposed to being like dynamite that causes destruction? It's a crucial question. As a place to start, I'd like to draw your attention to something that I don't think we're as used to noticing in stories as we are dynamics of power. And it's this. Are you ready? This is like the foundation of safe use and productive use of power. All the characters in this story, they all have power. And they're wielding it in different ways. But they are all doing it in the context of vulnerability. Let me show you what I mean. Look at the vulnerability in this story. Shift from power and look at vulnerability. The Pharisees, why were they wielding power as they were? It's because they were afraid of losing the positions they had. They were vulnerable. And they knew it, especially in the presence of Jesus. This one, do you mind? Jesus Is he vulnerable here? Surely. Like, have you ever thought of Jesus vulnerable? Do you know what? Jesus was vulnerable to the authority of the law. They could have pronounced judgment and they thought he was vulnerable at losing his life. From his point of view, he was vulnerable of dying too early. Before he got to the cross, he was vulnerable. And what about the woman? Well, her... It's her vulnerability rather than her power that stands out to us the most, isn't it? So here we go. Every person in this story has power and they're making choices about how to use it and everyone in this story is also vulnerable and vulnerable to the wielding of each other's power wielding. Get that? When it comes to understanding power and how we wield it so it's positively and helpfully experienced understanding the presence of vulnerability is the place to start. That's where it begins. Because decisions about power are inextricably linked to the presence of vulnerability and the dynamics of it in the situations we face. So, case study here. It's like we're back to uni. It's week one. (laughs) Case study Have a look in this story. Let's understand, let's see and understand the nature of vulnerability. Scribes and Pharisees, we've already spoken them, they feel vulnerable about their positions of privilege and power and it's Jesus' power that is making them feel threatened. They think they stand to lose the place they have. Jesus, he can be charged and be killed too early in the law. It's possible they could kill him before his time. And the woman, well, she is already being absolutely publicly humiliated. She risks losing community connection, which is about survival. And at worst, she is vulnerable to death in that moment. The danger to her is very real. So, who would you say is the most vulnerable in the situation? I would say the woman. She could lose everything right there and then. I would say she's the most vulnerable. Good work, everyone. Case study complete. I want to suggest that when it comes to wielding your power in ways that are helpful for people, doing a vulnerability case study is incredibly helpful because usually we're used to just working out how we want to wield our power and usually we're working out how to respond to others wielding their power But not as often are we used to asking where is vulnerability in this mix and who stands to lose the most? Who is physically vulnerable? Who's emotionally vulnerable? Who is wielding power and what vulnerability are they protecting? What's going on in this mix? Seeing vulnerability is the place to start when it comes to healthy uses of our power. You get it? Have you seen vulnerability before? Are you used to that? I think it's a bit new for us but it's the starting point of being able to use our power well so we've done a case study now I mean it is week one of uni isn't it who's going to uni is it week one because we're about to do a um, compare and contrast okay compare don't you love those questions at uni compare and contrast the strength of this is it I'm like oh I'm sick of compare and contrast but we're doing one <laughs> all right so just act enthusiastic or something like that so In relation to vulnerability in this story, we're going to compare and contrast the scribes and Pharisees' use of power with Jesus' use of power. And we're going to start with the scribes and Pharisees first, okay? Whose vulnerability are the scribes and Pharisees wielding their power to protect the most? Their own and only their own. That is it. (laughs) That's, That's not a good start. What power are they wielding? Well, it's their power of position and they've colluded. They've pooled their power and they're using this collective power of position and the specialised knowledge that not everybody had. Like they held this knowledge of the law and they're wielding that as power and they picked out two very specific parts of the law (laughs) regarding adultery and its specific punishment. And the objective in how they've chosen to wield their power, they are trying to disempower Jesus and to cause him to break the law in their overall scheme to kill him, right? These are the, these are the leaders of God's people. That's, that's called entrapment. When the authority actively works to disempower you and gather evidence to kill you. That's entrapment. And if that's not bad enough, this is where it gets really nasty. Get this. They revel in the opportunity for them of the woman's sin. See that? They revel in the opportunity of the woman's sin and vulnerability, whose sin and potential death, they have assessed is a happily useful circumstance for them in how they wield their power against Jesus to win their agenda. The powerful wield their power to protect themselves and the woman is considered useful collateral damage. That's abuse. That's exploitation and that is nothing but spiritual abuse. And then, if you thought it couldn't get worse, they then used their power to dress up this self-serving wielding of power by playing on the trust and respect of their position that people have for scribes and Pharisees, and they masquerade through the temple carrying out their evil ploy while projecting the falsity that they are concerned with God and the law of God. Should I go on? It's not looking real great. Like if if our question today is how do we wield our power in accordance with how God wants us to so that people are blessed and restored and find it helpful, uh, it's not this. It's not this. Uh, This is actually straight out of the book of how to misuse power, abuse people and destroy lives. That's, that's what this is. And like I said before, keep in mind, like, happy topic we're talking about today, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry. I'll just throw in a bit of lightheartedness every now and then. But these are the people of God. These are the leaders of the people of God using, misusing their power like this. It's no wonder that Jesus decided to intervene like he did. So let's move on now, right? Let's move on now in our compare and contrast study and let's move from the scribes and the Pharisees which is such a good news story and look at how Jesus wielded his power in this situation. First question, whose vulnerability is Jesus wielding his power to protect the most? The woman's, more pertinent for us is not his, not His. He has assessed the vulnerability and he has worked out the woman is most vulnerable. And so his first step in wielding his power is for her protection, for her care. And let's look at specifically what types of power Jesus wields and, and what objectives are his in his power wielding. And, and this, well, he blows me away here. Oh, This is amazing. The religious leaders wielded their power against Jesus in an attempt to have at least something to charge him with regarding the law. Did you notice that? They were desperately trying to have something to charge him with so that they could kill him, which means what? They know he's innocent. They know he's blameless. They know he's done nothing according to the law, worthy of condemnation, otherwise they wouldn't be here doing this. So as far as they knew, Jesus is innocent and they knew it and Jesus knew they knew it, right? So they hauled the woman caught in adultery, um, caught in the very act. So in other words, there's, there's no question about whether this woman is guilty. They hold her before him and they picked out the two parts of the law that are relevant for her situation. Adultery is a sin and you die for adultery according to the law. And they publicly fronted Jesus in the temple and they pressured him. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? This was their most powerful and manipulative power play yet in trying to have something to cause Jesus to stumble and do the wrong thing because they knew he was innocent. Jesus didn't respond how they hoped. Do you wonder, I wonder how they... Did they come up thinking, this is going to get him? Oh, man, in front of everybody, he's going to be a nervous wreck. He's going to stumble over his words. He's going to fumble about. He won't want to condemn the woman. He won't want to break the law. We've, we've got him. Instead, the way he willed his power, the tables were turned. Jesus just, don't you love, Don't I wish I had more insight in this moment. But they've done their the darndest to, to make him stumble and he just, he does this. <laughs> Could I get another coffee up here? <laughs> and it goes on. And it goes on. You know what happens in that moment as he wields the power of silence and space? They hoped he'd be nervous. They got nervous. <laughs> That's what happened. They hoped he would feel attention. tension. They started feeling the tension because they ramped up in their coming to him. What are you going to do about this, Jesus? I think they're starting to panic inside. That's incredible. Then when the tension was sufficiently high, Jesus kind of stood up. And this is all he said. This is it. He who is without sin among you Bring it. Throw a stone. He who is without sin among you, let's do it. Throw a stone. And then, and then he just crouched again and didn't even look up to see what happened. That's a fair risk. That's a bit of a risk right there, eh? That's a bit of a risk. But amazingly, one by one, starting with the oldest, Through to the youngest, the scribes and Pharisees, pricked by their consciences, started to one by one just disperse. And they went away until Jesus was left as the only one with the woman. Does anybody else think, oh, hold up. Did I miss something? Like, Like, what happened in that? Like the Pharisees were prepared to, they didn't didn't have consciences. Like they were doing their worst. They were abusing power. What happened in that exchange when Jesus said the one who's without sin, free go? What happened there? Well, who was it who was without sin among them? It was him. And he was the only one without sin among them. He knew it, but more importantly, they knew it. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there doing what they were doing. Jesus was the only one who would be doing any stone throwing that day. That's what he was saying to them. Mm. Also worthy of note, who was there who was with sin? Well, the obvious one is The woman, everyone knew that. That's the point. She'd sinned. She'd fallen short of the law's standard. The law said accurately, she's worthy of death. Jesus knew it. But the woman wasn't the only one there who was with sin. And he wasn't, and the woman wasn't the only one there who knew it. (laughs) Everyone else there, life didn't stack up according to the law. Like, if they weren't, it'd be like you and I saying, we're sinless and we don't need Jesus. And they knew, they knew they didn't stack up according to the law, not just the woman, but everybody. So when Jesus said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the first stone," he was pointing out to them in that moment that if it is a moment for condemnation of punishment for all (laughs) whose lives don't stack up against the law, then you're all dead. He was also pointing out that if there's anybody there who will be throwing any stones first, it's me. So if this is a moment for me to enact condemnation and punishment now for crimes committed, I'll be throwing a lot of stones. The woman will die and you're all worthy of death. And he was also saying, but in this moment, I don't want to throw stones of condemnation and death the broader picture of the law is that god is a god of love and grace and jesus was saying in this moment i want to put in the broader truth that grace and patience of the lord is also truth in the law and i in this moment would prefer to win a moment of grace so i can speak truth and empower people to make choices to, just, to turn their lives to God and have life. That's a lot he said in those two lines, isn't it? <laughs> That's what changed. So get this, in what he said, Jesus was saying, I think it's better if we have a moment of grace to give the woman a chance to turn her life around and turn to me. And he was using his power to protect her vulnerability but he was also protecting the Pharisees and scribes. He was saying, I don't want condemnation for you and punishment for you. And so I'm wielding my power, not protecting my own vulnerability, but I'm also protecting yours, even though you're coming to kill me. I think that's why, one by one, they started to disperse back because they realised he's protecting us. He's given us a moment of grace. Wow. One by one they went away because they could no longer pay for the woman's condemnation when it would also be their own. And in the moment when they received grace and time from Jesus to consider their ways and choose life. That's cool. That's cool. I can't help but wonder if Jesus had a, like this big smile on his face. As he stood up for that second time, and he turned to the woman, has no one condemned you? (laughs) Like he didn't know that was going to (laughs) happen. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He fronted the truth. He didn't step outside the law. He just brought a bigger picture of the law. See, the scribes and Pharisees, they... They only ever used their power to protect their own vulnerability. And they wielded their power by picking out the parts of the law that were relevant for them in seeing their agenda come about. That's what they did. And their goal with their power was to disempower and to destroy. That's how they wielded their power. But Jesus, Jesus used his power to protect the one who was the most vulnerable and the vulnerability of the scribes and Pharisees. And he wielded the power of full truth and his innocence so that others were empowered to choose life in Jesus' name. That's the result of our compare and contrast. It's a, it's a pretty stark contrast between religious leaders and Jesus, isn't it? When it comes to how they use their power scribes and Pharisees used their power to protect themselves at any cost to others. Jesus used his power to protect others' vulnerability. The scribes and Pharisees used the parts of truth that suited their cause and they wielded their power to disempower and destroy. Jesus uses his power to be a fosterer of and a speaker of the whole truth and grace of God's way with an objective of making the power of others powerful in their own decisions. ...in how they live. Huh. How do we use our power in a way that is experienced as helpful and positive by all? We do the same. We use our power not just to protect our own vulnerability... ...but to protect the vulnerability of everyone as best we can in the situation. And we use our power to be fosterers and speakers... ...of the whole compassionate truth of Lord Jesus Christ not just the bits that support our cause in any one moment. It's how we do it. And we use our power as best we can to foster the power of others and see them in a position to be able to make choice freely without consequence about how they will live their lives for God. You know, when it comes to, when it comes to stories about using power positively and helpfully, there's... It's just one story that comes to mind that I want to tell this morning. Um, it's not my story. I heard this story at a chaplaincy development day. So I'm risking this. You may have heard it before, wouldn't know. Anyway, if you have, just pretend it's the first time you've heard it. This blew m- my mind. Um, it was a in-service day in a school where the students weren't present, but all the staff were. And at this in-service day, uh, a bunch of... Um, mid-teen-age boys came hooliganising through the school and yelling abuse and threats and causing whatever havoc they could. And when they got close to where the staff was, they started calling out for the chappie, the chappie, and the deputy principal to come on out or we're going to tear this place apart. There's a few of them doing this. And so after some time and consideration, the chappy and the deputy went out and stood um, while also being watched uh, in the presence of these, these few boys and they just hurled abuse at the chappie and the principal and they eventually said, we're going to rob you. Give us your wallet and give us your phone. And there was this standoff there. What's going to happen? And I bet a million things went through the deputy's head and the chaplain's head in the middle of it and they just kept hurling these, give us your phone, we're going to rob you. And at one point the deputy turned to the chappie and then turned back the, the, the young people. And this is what he said. He said, I'm not going to give him a wallet and phone. That didn't go down too well. But then he said, look, just out of curiosity, if you did have my wallet and phone, what would you do with it? And this took him back a bit. And the young people were, well, well, I think we'd go down the bakery. And the deputy said... Well, I'm not going to give you my wallet and phone, but I can take you to the bakery. Why don't we go down the bakery? And the young people went, "Oh, yeah, that sounds all right. Let's go." So they piled in cars and they drove down the bakery. Once they got down the bakery, the deputy said, "Well, if you had my wallet and phone, what would you do once you got to the bakery?" And they said, "Well, well, we would probably buy sausage rolls." So this is your true story. The deputy principal said to the attendant at the bakery counter, sausage rolls all round, please, for these boys. Sausage rolls all round. They pulled up and they brought out these sausage rolls and they are all hoeing into the sausage rolls. And then they came to the end of them, probably with a little bit of nice tomato sauce on the top. They were loving it. And then the deputy said, surely you wouldn't stop there. Like we're at a bakery, you've got my wallet and phone, you've had a round of sausage rolls. Anything else? And they said, oh, wow. Well. Maybe an ice finger bun or something like that. And so literally this went on. He got them ice finger buns... ...and then after that it was, well, you must be thirsty now. And so then they went to a round of chocolate milkshakes and all that. You know, the whole time they were down there... ...the deputy and the chaplaincy are having these beautiful conversations with those boys... ...about what they're doing with their lives and how that's going on. And after a long time it came about that they parted beautifully and amicably ...with restored relationship and no negativity or any damage. Don't you think that's cool? Don't you think? Talk about a positive and helpful wielding of power. You know, at the end of that, on the way home, the chaplain turned to the deputy and said, how did you, like, what? How did you think of that? You know what the deputy said back to the chaplain? He said, I've been, I've been watching you for long enough to know that your Jesus does stuff different." And in the moment when I was thinking about calling the police or powering back over, I thought Jesus wouldn't do that. He'd do something different. And that's what I came up with. (laughs) (laughs) How good. How good. Do you know, this is the thing. There's a bit of a shepherd's word, okay, Uh, dealing with this sort of stuff. We exist in a world where the vulnerable keep getting exploited and become more and more vulnerable. We exist in a society that actually sees the misuses of power in the church more than they see the proper uses of power in the church. And where people who say and we truly mean we follow the Lord. So never has there been a more important time for us to consider how we wield our power. Never has there been a more important time for us to become experts in seeing vulnerability and its dynamics in the situations we face. Never has there been a time more important for us to consider how am I wielding my power to protect the vulnerable... To speak truth and to live truth. And how am I using my power to empower the power of the powered over? That's a lot of powers. How am I using my power to empower the power of the powered over? Okay, say that back to me. That's a, yeah. In seeing people in a position to be able to choose life in Jesus. Yeah. I'm going to pray that we get heaven's wisdom in the moments as we go this week, just like that deputy got, so that we can be people whose power is experienced redemptively, restoratively, and in a way that leads to life in Jesus. Father, actually, Jesus, um, thanks for the cross. Never has there been a more pertinent action of you wielding your power to protect our vulnerability and not your own so that we're empowered to choose life. In this moment, I'd like to pray for anyone who's actually on the flip side of this, who is in a relationship with an individual or an organisation and you are being hurt by the improper use of power. Father, in Jesus' name, may Holy Spirit bring revelations of wisdom and insight in how to be protected and how to move to places of freedom and liberty well. Lift up and restore, we ask in Jesus' name. In this moment, I want to ask too that in situations this week where we might be tempted to act very powerfully that you hit the short circuit button in our brains and help us to catch that moment, prompt us Holy Spirit in Jesus' name and imbibe in us the ability to look for vulnerability just like that you did for that deputy that day and show us the new ways, the gentle ways but the profoundly powerful ways of wielding our power so as to be a blessing and a help and a restorative agent towards forgiveness and grace in the lives of everybody that we meet this week. We can't do this by ourselves, Lord. We're going to need your leading and your revelation. Come, Holy Spirit. May we become known as a people who wield power like Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening to Hope Community Podcasts. We hope you enjoyed today's message and remember to subscribe to the channel to keep up to date. From everyone here at Hope Community, have the best week.